the way I was treated in the classroom, the the way that other faculty talked to me or the way that they encouraged me, honestly, or the expectations people had of me were a lot more balanced than what I've been used to in the U.S., where mm. it's this this idea that like as a black artist, your art has to be about trauma. It has mm-hmm. to be about the black experience, you know, mm-hmm. and the black experience is trauma, like in this sort of really frustrating expectation that I've had placed on me since middle school even. And, you know, here, like for the first time, no one was like pushing me toward that path. And it felt really good. And I realized just how much of a handicap the U.S. had placed on me in terms of developing both my art practice and like myself as a person. Hello, hello! Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, Perspectives on Studying Abroad from Past and Present Students of Color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Nia as the guest. And as I mentioned at the beginning of last episode, this episode you're listening to right here, episode 88, is the last episode of Young, Gifted, and Abroad in the year 2021. Um, I was thinking about maybe trying to round things out at 90, but then I thought, hmm, now feels like a good time to put things on pause. And I really like the number 8 anyway, so why not end the year on episode 88? So I'll be going on break from November to January, and there's so much to look forward to in 2022 because... Not only will there be the fourth anniversary of Young, Gifted, and Abroad on Juneteenth, but we'll also be counting down to the 100th episode, which I hope to reach <laughs> before the fourth anniversary comes around. So, But that's all for next year. Don't have to dwell on that now. For now, while we're still in 2021, I will very likely be putting out something special next month in December. But again, this episode you're listening to, episode 88, is it for regular episodes of the year. And I am so glad to have the great fortune (laughs) to close out the year with such a fascinating and sincere person as Nia as the guest. So Nia is from Richmond, Virginia, and she is a multidisciplinary artist. So she writes, she paints, she does collages, she designs things, and she comes from a family of fellow artists and designers and people who make things. And so she grew up in Richmond, went to university in Richmond, uh, pursued an art degree, an undergrad. And while an undergrad, she managed to study abroad multiple times in multiple countries, including Morocco, Greece, Mexico, and also Qatar. At some point, Nia found out that her university in Richmond also has a campus in Doha, Qatar, and so she spent an entire semester there during her senior year of undergrad while she was finishing up her art degree. Then she applied and was accepted into her master's program, her MFA, at that same campus. 
So she went from only spending a semester in Qatar to spending the past two years there. She started her MFA in 2019 and just completed that, earned her degree in May of 2021. And she's still living in Qatar now. So Qatar is what we mostly talked about. Um, I was very interested in what studying there has been like, what life there has been like from Nia's perspective, especially since Qatar is not a country that I know a lot about. But we also touched on her previous study abroad experiences as well and what made her want to study abroad in the first place. And we also talked a lot about her master's thesis. Nia's master's thesis was heavily centered around a game she created, a huge board game that she created called Reclamancipation. So reclamation, emancipation, put it together. See, you got it. You got it. (laughs) So Reclamancipation is the title of Nia's thesis and the name of the board game she made whose themes focus on the various experiences of african-american women and the game actually requires storytelling on the players part it's structured in a way that prompts players to talk about their lived experiences or memories from childhood and so you can't get through the game without sharing a bit about yourself in our conversation nia does a beautiful job phenomenal job explaining what this game is about, what her thought process was behind it, how it works, you know, how you play, and also her process of even just making it and putting it all together. And rightfully so, she is so proud of it and has so many plans for what she wants this game to do in the future. And I also am very proud of what she's been able to do. I've been marveling at it since I saw the photos and listened to her tell me in depth what Reclamancipation is all about. So hopefully it will give you something to marvel at as well. And in addition to pursuing her career as an artist and her love of art in various forms, Nia also has a blog called Black Girls Abroad. She started it during undergrad when she started traveling internationally and saw that the stuff that she had researched online didn't match up with the experiences that she had. She felt like there was a lot of information out there that wasn't tailored to black women's experiences. So she created a blog and also a social media account as well that hopes to mitigate that issue, that gap in information. So she has offered her own experience as a starting off point, but she really wants to expand and have Black Girls Abroad be an archive and a platform for other Black women to also share about their travel experiences. So that's something that Nia is looking forward to getting back active in in 2022. So lots of exciting things on the horizon for her, and we really just had such a wonderful lighthearted conversation about being an artist and being abroad and and how much of her life has changed in the past four years Um, because she didn't start traveling internationally until 2017 and look where she is now and all that she's been able to do in that time it's really really inspiring to me and i hope it will be inspiring to you as well 
Yeah, so without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Nia Alexander. How is Qatar treating you? How are you doing this evening? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing okay. I've been in the house all day today, so I get to avoid the heat. It's um, 92 degrees Fahrenheit outside. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, good on you for, for doing that and <laughs> not exposing yourself to the elements. That's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so ready for winter. Like, the best time of year is, like, December to February. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the rest of the year, you just stay inside the house because you going outside is what you're going to do outside. Yeah. <laughs> it's too hot. Right, exactly. Other than swelter, I guess, you know, and that's no fun. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. Staying inside, staying cool, that's great. Um, really glad you agreed to be a guest. I'm excited to ask you all the questions I have in mind about, you know, all the amazing and interesting things you've done so far. So why don't we start with you introducing yourself a bit, if you don't mind. All right, sure. Super cool. I'm very happy to be here, too. This is exciting. Oh, I'm glad. highlight of my day. Oh, that's wonderful. That makes me feel really good already. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, my name is Nia. I am from Richmond, Virginia in the United States. I have a bachelor's of fine arts in painting and printmaking, where I minored in art history. And very recently, I have earned my master's of fine arts in design. Mm. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Class of 2021. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, I know. I know that was a... Uh, a hard one accomplishment, especially in these times. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I I spent. Let's see. The whole program is what four or five semesters, and I only spent one on campus before the pandemic hit. Oh my goodness! Wow. <laughs> but you made it to the end. Did you do anything to to celebrate or to reward yourself? Um, my partner took me out to a fancy dinner. At um, Nobu. There's a Nobu here. Oh, okay. I did not know that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so so I had a little, a little celebration dinner. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, again, congratulations on that major, major accomplishment. I was really looking forward to talking to you uh, specifically about Qatar because um, I think you're the first person I've had on the show to talk about Qatar. So I was excited to learn about it. And, you know, some of your other travels as well be fun to talk about. But I wanted to start by asking about, um, you know, your artistry. You know, what made you want to become an artist and what um, inspires your work? Oh, cool. So, let's see. I'm pretty sure I've been doing art since I could hold a crayon. <laughs> like, mm. there's, there's drawings that um, I don't remember doing. But they were done when I was like, you know, three years old or something. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of it had to do with my mom, who was also an artist. And she studied at um, VCU or Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, which is also where I ended up getting both my degrees, basically. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, when, when she would be doing her art projects, I was there as like a toddler and I would just kind of copy her, I think. And so there's like all these pictures of like me drawing people upside down because oh. I used to sit across <laughs> from her. I used to sit across from her and I would like copy what she was doing, I think. But of course, to me, it looked like they were upside down. So for a couple of years, I drew portraits upside down. Um, That's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I also used to like sharpen her expensive, you know, colored pencils. I used to sharpen them on both ends, which Aww. you're not supposed to do. But hey, I was four. So, right. <laughs> you know, I guess, you know, I guess in a lot of ways, art has always been around. Um, my dad, he studied music. He played the saxophone. Um both of my grandparents are very crafty. One is a seamstress and my granddad's an architect. Mm. So, you know, there's kind of always been art around, but I didn't really get like serious, serious about it until high school when I got into an art program. It was a, a art magnet school. Mm. Um, and so I did that for four years. And then I went to VCU where I studied painting and printmaking. And then I went to VCU in Qatar because they have a sister campus mm-hmm. and that's kind of like my path in terms of like where art started and how I kind of pursued it in a professional sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I didn't really get a firm handle on like who I am and what I want to do as an artist until very recently. So I Definitely. I'm so glad I did the master's program because it helped me sort of figure out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. So I consider my creative practice to be very interdisciplinary. It's got a heavy focus on storytelling. And I consider myself to be a writer, a painter, a collage artist and a designer. Mm. And I really like combining all of these different mediums into my work. I'm especially interested in designing like toys and books and games that can like help create like positive social change, but in like a very unintimidating way where people can still like have fun. And I love the the concept of like radical joy as a means of like um, of, of sustaining yourself as you work toward like social justice goals. Yeah. So that is my art practice as of now. Oh, wow. That's, that's beautiful. So, you know, you got it honest in terms of having art, artists in your family and people who make things in your family and, and you kind of followed in that tradition in your own way. And I like how you mentioned radical joy. I remember, uh, I'll ask more about this later, but I looked at the information you have about your thesis on your website. Is it Oh, can I pronounce this correctly? Uh, Reclamancipation? Is that it? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But I read something in there about, like, Black women's experience and how kind of oppression and celebration coexist um, Mm -hmm. in a lot of different ways. So when you said radical joy, that that reminded me of that. So, um, yeah, that's that's really beautiful. I'm glad that you have um, made it to the point that you have this far um, in your in your artistry and your work, and that you are not putting a limit on yourself. Like you said, you do many different things. I'm really looking forward to getting more into that later on. But um, yes, thank you for giving me that snapshot of your your creative journey. That's really oh, great my to hear. Pleasure. <laughs> 
Okay, so, you know, you're in Qatar now. Like you said, you moved to Qatar for your uh, master's program, but you um, actually, like you studied abroad multiple times in undergrad, right? Um, yes. What made you, I think it was like, I wrote it down. <laughs> um, <laughs> Morocco, Greece, and Mexico. Is that correct? Yeah. So in undergrad, I see, I did Morocco in 2017. Mm. And then uh, I studied abroad for a semester in Qatar in 2018. And then while I was in Qatar, I studied abroad in Greece. And I took a personal vacation to uh, Turkey. Mm. And then the following year in 2019, after having graduated, I went to Mexico as an alumni. And then I came back to Qatar in 2019 for the grad program. Gotcha. Okay. So it was like back to back to back where you're going somewhere every year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very unexpected too. Yeah. And I didn't realize that I assume that your current stay in Qatar was your first time coming to Qatar. So I'm glad to know that it actually uh, was not the case. Um, that you, This is like a, a repeat thing for you. Like you came back to Qatar to to further your studies. Okay. Yeah. So you said that it was unexpected that you traveled so much in a short period of time. You know, I was going to ask what made you want to start traveling and studying abroad. What made you want to do those things? So I knew that when I like attended university and undergrad, I had this feeling where I knew I wanted to study abroad because my mom had did it when she was in university. She went to Italy mm. and I was like, oh, yeah, I want to do that, too. But the thing is, at the time, I was maybe 20. Yeah, I was exactly 20. And I didn't feel comfortable yet just spending, you know, three months abroad somewhere else. Like I, I had never been anywhere. I'd never been off the East Coast. I'd never been on a plane. So I was really hesitant to do that. But by chance, they were like the, the design departments at my university. They put together a short 10 day trip to Morocco mm. and they opened it up to all the other art departments. And so I said, oh, perfect. So I got to have like a little short abbreviated trip abroad. And from then it was sort of like a domino effect where one trip led me directly to another study abroad trip. Mm, okay. So you kept building on the the previous experience, do the next one, it all kind of built up onto each other. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting how that worked out. Because I know some people I've talked to in the past, or, you know, I've heard in general, some people like strategize being able to travel abroad multiple times, especially when they're, um, when they're in school, like how they can study abroad multiple times. But um, as you said, it was more, it was unexpected, like you didn't strategize necessarily to travel as much as you did, but uh, yeah. I'm glad it worked out that way, <laughs> that you were yeah. able to go to so many places. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty wild, like, thinking back on it, because with that first Morocco trip, it was, like, really affordable. It was, I think, $2,700, hmm. and I was like, oh, you know, I that can be managed, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, compared to some of the other trips, which were uh, much more expensive than that. And so I'm like, okay, cool, I can pull this off. And so, you know, me and, and my, my family, we pulled it off. I got to go on the trip. And while on that Morocco trip, 
I met students and faculty from VCU Arts Qatar. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones that encouraged me to apply to the semester study abroad program. And so I said, okay. And so I applied and I got in. So I went to Qatar because yeah. the, the people on that trip were the ones that told me about, you know, the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that being in Qatar for the semester, my tuition didn't change. So whatever I was on scholarships and everything on the home campus, it stayed the same for my stay in Qatar. Okay. And yeah, and that made that doable. And the art department paid for the plane ticket. So oh, nice. That, <laughs> yeah, fantastic, because that plane ticket is intense. Um, it's, it's a lot of money because hmm. it's like a, what, it's like a 13-hour flight on, like, the top airline. So uh, <laughs> I'm really glad they paid for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm very grateful, and I'm glad that, like, my scholarships from the U.S. were still able to be used studying abroad in Qatar. So that was fluid. And then again, by chance, like the Qatar campus was planning a trip to Greece and one student dropped out the last minute. And so they had to find someone who had an American or a European passport to get into Greece without a visa because it was so last minute. And so they asked me if I wanted to come. And I was like, sure, because it was already paid for. (laughs) Okay, wow. I didn't realize it was so almost like serendipitous in a way how you got to go to Greece. Wow, okay. That's yeah, awesome. That's perfect word. <laughs> Thanks. I, I try. I try. <laughs> I try to use a full range of my vocabulary when I can. <laughs> um, and all of these different study abroad trips you did, these are all art, arts related, correct? Yes, except for Greece. That was a a volunteer trip. Mm, Okay, I see. What kind of volunteering were you doing? We went there to uh, help volunteer with the the refugee uh, situation that was over in Greece. Mm. So so we went and we visited different organizations that like are devoted to helping out the refugee crisis. And we learned about it and we met some people. We did that, plus a little bit of other, like, cultural things. Like, we went to go see the Acropolis, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. When I'm, you know, ask people about their study abroad experiences, in terms of the study part of it, it's like, okay, what were you doing in the classroom? Or what kind of assignments or projects were you doing? That type of thing. But um, mm. when you're an art student... I guess I'm not really sure how that goes. Like, I'm sure you're not, I would assume you're not just sitting in a classroom all day when you're studying abroad as an art student. But like, what, what kinds of things do you do when you're studying abroad as an art student? Like, how is it structured? You know, how does that go? Oh, sure. So on the short trips, the trips that were, you know, one week or 10 days, um, those we primarily went to different organizations. So we visited museums. We might have had a few workshops in Mexico City. I know that we had a few classes about uh, Mexican printmaking tradition. Mm. Um, So like like lectures. So there was some of that. But when I studied abroad in Qatar for the semester, the curriculum was like identical to what I had been studying in the U.S. because it's the same university. Mm -hmm. So 
it was slight differences in credit value. So I had to finish up a few classes when I came back to the U.S. But still, for the most part, it is very much um, you get up, you go to class at nine. It's probably a studio class and you might have a critique or you just have all day to work and the teachers will come in and check on you and you can chat. So those are like how studio classes work. Hmm. And then sometimes, well, because I was there during like my senior semester, I had to take like senior seminar, which is more of a lecture course. And so we would have that and we would um, have like mock presentations of our artwork and we would sort of pretend to like pitch what our creative practices in like five minutes and we would like prepare all of the technical stuff like like the writing of excerpts for our senior showcase which is at the end of the year okay yeah that definitely paints a a really good picture of um no pun intended (laughs) i didn't do that on purpose (laughs) that's funny that's funny i wasn't trying to do that um (laughs) that's a a very um helpful snapshot of of the kinds of things you were doing (laughs) i'll try not to say that again (laughs) i love it though own it (laughs) oh my goodness um (laughs) i i um you know, I perused through your, your blog, and I think I saw something about how, because you mentioned the VCU campus, like VCU Arts, the VCU campus um, in Qatar, but I think I read something about how you didn't know about it at first, like it was kind of like, like not hidden information, but you didn't know uh, for a while that that was like available to you? Mm. Well, yeah, so definitely like... It's, it's weird how few people on the home campus know that we have an entire other campus in, in Qatar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I definitely wasn't alone in sort of this sort of, like, hush-hush, people forget it exists thing. And so I found out about it, like, the exchange program. I don't know if I found out about it while I was in Morocco on that first trip mm-hmm. or, like, slightly before Morocco. But it was it was pretty late. I think I just kind of stumbled upon it because it wasn't like there were any posters in the hallway or any any emails that I remember. I really don't know how I, I came across it. For mm. real, for real. But um, I mean, obviously, we're glad that you did, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. 100 <laughs> percent. I mean, my, <laughs> my goodness. You know, you mentioned how you were following in your mom's lead with pursuing the arts, but also with studying abroad. So I'm assuming she was, you know, supportive of the different trips that you went on. Um, I guess in, in a general sense, you know, how did your family and loved ones feel or react to you traveling so much um, in pursuit of your your studies? You know, what did they think of that? Sure. So for the most part, overall, it was uh, positive. It was supportive. I know that like in the very beginning, when I was going to go to Morocco, my grandmother was very stressed about that. Mm. But, you know, fast forward to now, having gone so many places, she is very supportive. She's like my biggest cheerleader with um, all of my travel and creative endeavors. And she texts me every day, every day. Um, 
And she likes to joke that if I need anything, she'll like hop on her moped and come like save the day. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, so I, I've had like some experiences like that, you know, people who like came around. Other times it's been people who were not necessarily against it, but they also weren't very vocally supportive of it. Hmm. Um, I had someone, they, they told me that like, they don't understand how like going to Qatar that first time, how, how that would help with my career goals. And, you know, at the time I'm like 20, 21, I don't even have career goals. I'm trying to figure that out. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm like, you know, I know that, that studying abroad, like can't hurt. It can't hurt whatever goals are there are, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so I, I, I went anyway. Like I had some people that were like just a handful, very small amount of people who were who were naysayers or who were very confused as to why I wanted to do it or why I wasn't scared. But you know, I, I did it and I went. And I'm like, you know, case in point, I've now earned my master's degree <laughs> as mm-hmm. a direct result of all this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm glad that you went anyway. Um, and like you said, it led to where you are now. So, you know, as you mentioned, you went to Qatar the first time it was for that semester program. And then you came back for your master's program. I'm wondering if you could tell me a bit about Qatar for someone, you know, people who don't know anything about it, you know, what is Qatar like? Um, for you as you experience it, like as a place to live, you know, or maybe the character that it has, you know, how would you describe living in, in Qatar? So one thing, the first thing that came to mind, honestly, was that as a black woman, it's a lot more free for me to be here, um, compared to being in the U S and it's just because like, there's a different type of oppression here you know so on one hand it's like like pick your battles like like pick your poisons basically Hmm. but you know there wasn't the same historical racism and sexism that the u.s has like that specific flavor that directly affects (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny (laughs) america's specific flavor of racism yes yes Yes. very familiar Yes, exactly. So like that flavor is not here. And it allowed me like space to breathe. I didn't have, you know, the same pressures of trying to be performative or trying to navigate all of these racist spaces like Mm. I would have to in the U.S. So it gave me a lot of space to breathe and to reflect and to grow um, because I felt safer in a lot of ways. Mm. Um I've definitely been able to like build my confidence and find my voice here. So I think that like specifically, perhaps just like as a black American, like this kind of environment can be refreshing and uh, facilitating depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. But then also, you know, in general, I feel like America's or maybe just the West in general, their perception of the Middle East is, almost exclusively negative Mm, um, and or like one dimensional. Right. Mm. Um, And so I did have people like concerned about me coming over here 
because they're like, oh, they're they're waging holy wars and they're doing this. And I'm like, they're not actually. Qatar is not. Qatar is fine. Like, I am fine. And I would like, you know, the people who have maybe not heard much about Qatar to know that it's really safe. Like, I think that statistically it is the safest country in the world. Mm. <laughs> there is a lot of security everywhere. Um, there's very strict like like gun laws, so you're not going to worry about that the way we would in the U.S. It's, it's it just makes things easy. Like like you can leave your your expensive Gucci purse sitting somewhere on campus, and it's probably not going to get stolen. It's probably going to get called in and say, "Hey, lost and found." Mm. <laughs> so you know, it's a very safe place to be. Um, they do have, of course, like modesty rules, but you are not required to wear a hijab or a burqa or a niqab. Like you're not required to cover. It's just like very respectful. If you do wear like, like quarter length sleeves or Mm. like long sleeves um, and then like skirts or pants that like stop at your knees. It's just very respectful because like you are like being hosted by this country in a lot of ways. Yeah. And there are some places that like will not let you in if you are dressed like with not enough clothes Mm. Um, like some malls, for example, they might tell you to go turn around and go put on the, you know, put on a sweater and definitely like holy places like mosque, you have to be fully covered. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, like it's pretty chill. It's, it's pretty chill as far as like, like expats are concerned or tourists are concerned. Um, you'll be fine here. There's, there's plenty of stuff to do and to see. I know that like once you live here for a long time, you start to get a feeling of like Doha is so boring, Qatar is so boring. There's nothing to do. Um, <laughs> but for sure, like like as like a, a temporary resident or you know an expat, a tourist, there's totally stuff to do. Especially if you come in the winter, you get to hang out outside in like oh, seventy yeah. degree weather. <laughs> it is so nice. You get to watch the Dow boats on the Corniche. You, you get to see some aqua blue water or go race little uh, ATVs in the desert mm-hmm. or go to museums because Qatar is really investing a lot in um, like the arts and the designs. Um, like they, they just opened up like a whole design district in a, like an old part of town. They like renovated it. Oh. Um, yeah. So like they're putting a lot into that and they have a real appreciation for that, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I, I got to say too, they're also putting a lot into preparation for the World Cup. The World Cup. Oh. And yeah. Yep. So they have built stadiums and they have reworked streets and highways and there's construction everywhere. Hmm. <laughs> and I mean, you can like like go to sleep and then over the weekend you get back up and go to work and there's like a totally new road for you to get to your job. Oh my goodness. Wow. So there's a lot of that. A lot of that. What is that next year or 2024 or something? Oh, it's I think it's going to be in December 2022. Okay. Oh it's yeah, definitely the winter. Yeah, right, cuz you said of the temperatures. Okay. I did not know the yeah. World Cup was coming to Qatar. Um Ooh, it's coming. You yeah. can avoid it here. <laughs> yeah. Is it? This has nothing to do. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's I guess it's tangential. But I'm I'm wondering, is it kind of like 
The Olympics, for instance, when I hear about the Olympics coming to a certain city, I hear about how expensive it is, how it's like a drain on resources, how like people surrounding where the game venues are, like especially if they're low income, if they're homeless, they get displaced and it's not worth it. Like those are the types of things that I hear like. I guess negative pushback or consequences in terms of organizing a huge sporting event like that. I don't know if you hear or read any similar things about the World Cup, especially it specifically bringing it to 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 Doha. Do you know if that's a if those are concerns? You know, honestly, I don't know. And I feel like part of the reason I don't know and that it's like kind of not in the like the consciousness here is not in the news, you know, any debate about it. Hmm. It's probably in part due to Qatar's like censorship policies. Hmm. Um, when it comes to like news and things being reported, they can be very strict. And there have been incidents that are very unfair. You know, like if someone speaks out about something and then suddenly they get deported. Oh, like, yeah. 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 So like that, those kinds of things do happen. And so what like little I've heard like about the World Cup, you know, in this town that I'm living in, Mm -hmm. I haven't heard much negative stuff about it, like being here in real time. Um, I haven't heard anything about displacements or or things of the like, which is not to say it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that Qatar has been criticized for some of their human rights um, allegations. What's the word? But like. Like uh, violations, human rights issues. Yeah, violations. That's it. Human rights violations. Hmm. Um, I know a while back I read something about like like how some people, some of the migrant workers who were like building all of these things, you know, in in the city in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they there have been instances where where they die, you know, working or you know something happens, hmm. and it's not the big news that it would be in other countries with um, more lenient, like, freedom of speech rules. Mm. Yeah, so I guess that makes sense if you, um, if that's the case, why you wouldn't have heard about it. Okay, yeah. I was just curious because I figured I'd I'd ask if it was a similar reaction or not. Um, Okay. Sure. Yeah. So you mentioned you're in Doha, right? That's, is that like the biggest city? In Qatar? Yeah, definitely. Um, And, I mean, I kind of feel like it's in some ways the only city. Like, obviously, Mm. there are definitely, like, other regions. Like, even where I went to school technically is in a part of town called um, Orion. And so it's technically not Doha. But pretty much everything is in Doha Mm. because the country itself is so small. Right. And so you have like one major city where everything is within like 30 minutes of each other, basically, um, not including traffic, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a small but very compact city mm-hmm. with like different little parts of town. Because if you drive out, I don't know, an hour in like any direction, you hit the desert. Mm-hmm. So, um, which I mean, there's still like out in the desert, there's like, like some places of residence, of course, some schools, but it's mostly a lot of um, like industrial sites, like where they're producing the natural gas and the oil, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Okay. 
I I think the only other thing before talking to you, the only thing I'd really heard about Qatar, uh, Doha specifically, is there's this, um, he does a lot of other things, but there's this teacher that I follow who moved to, uh, to teach in Doha for like a year or something like that. So he would like talk about his experience. Um, he had a podcast. That's why, that's why I learned about what he was doing. Yes. The only thing I, <laughs> that sticks out to me in terms of, um, his experience in, in Doha, now that I'm thinking about it, is that there are no taxes. Is that mm-hmm. true? You don't pay any taxes? Uh, to my knowledge, yes, that is true. But there are, I think as of maybe a year or two ago, there's like an extra tax on certain products, like I think tobacco and maybe soda. Hmm. Um, but then also, I think, was it last year or this year? Um, for a couple of years, Qatar has had like an embargo with some of the other like neighboring uh, areas, hmm. some of the neighboring countries in the region. And so like they weren't allowed to like import or export and he couldn't like fly in their airspace, like things like that. Mm-hmm. And so like that affected the prices of like some items um, for a while. I mean, as of now, everything is fine. People got used to it. And now the embargo has been lifted and it's kind of like, OK, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's that's the only thing that really comes to mind when I think about like uh, sort of like price variations. Yeah. OK. So, um I think you said two years, right? That you've been this time so far. I'm wondering if you've had to learn much Arabic to be able to, you know, get by on a day-to-day basis. Is is that something that you've had to do over time is learn that language? No, actually. Like, you can survive in Qatar with no Arabic at all. Hmm. which was kind of surprising to me. But, you know, being here, I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. Because there's so many people from so many different countries, like yeah. all, all the expats and everyone, that English has become like the common tongue, like when talking to other people. Hmm. Um, so English is like a lot of people's second language here. And so I could definitely get by with only English. And all of the road signs are also in English as well as Arabic. So it's really, really easy in a surprising way. Mm-hmm. Um, like, do I know any Arabic now? Barely. I think I could probably name the number of words I know in Arabic on like, like just my fingers, probably. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, well, if you haven't needed it to get by, then, you know, that makes sense. And... I, I guess a little bit of something is better than nothing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I um, pretty much only know like like um, like es- exclamations like mashallah, right? Like or mm-hmm. or mabruk. Um, <laughs> like all these different things. They're like one word statements. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if that if that works and if that's all you need so far, then you know. That's fine. <laughs> true, 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 true. Um, oh, yes. You mentioned how, you know, you feel freer as a black person in Qatar. I'm wondering if there is any, like, any specific experience that made you start to realize that things are different and you could be a bit freer there than back home. Sure. It was definitely, like, 
the way I was treated in the classroom, hmm. um, the the way that other faculty talked to me or the way that they encouraged me, honestly, because it wasn't that like people back home in the U.S., it wasn't that I was always being like shot down. It wasn't like a, an intentional malice back home. Mm-hmm. Um, but here there was so much encouragement and like faculty really sitting down and talking to me about my art or about like other this future things being like, Hey, like, have you thought about this or what about this? And I really found myself grow as an artist a lot in that one semester. Mm-hmm. It's, it was amazing. And so it was things like that. It was the way that I was treated or the expectations people had of me were a lot more balanced than what I've been used to in the U S where, mm. you know, sometimes, and I've, I've been making a lot of art about this recently, but it's this, this idea that like, as a black artist, your art has to be about trauma. It has mm. to be about the black experience, you know, mm-hmm. and the black experience is trauma. Like and this sort of really frustrating expectation that I've had placed on me as a black artist since middle school, even, um, where it's just like, hey, like, why can't I make art about about this or about that, about, you know, pretty princesses? You know, why does all my art have to be about <laughs> trauma? Yeah. And, you know, here, like for the first time, no one was like pushing me toward that path. And it felt really good. And I realized just how much of a handicap the U.S. had placed on me in terms of developing both my art practice and like myself as a person, mm-hmm. like, because you, you can feel stifled or like a lack of confidence or like a, a fear of speaking out mm-hmm. because that's the environment you're in. You're constantly trying to navigate this oppressive system, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I didn't have that here. And so now I feel like I can go back home to the U S and I'm still going to retain what I've been able to cultivate here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, I'm sorry, do you hear any um, sort of, like, wishing noise? Like, a like I, I just heard, like, a static noise uh, just now. I'm not sure if you can hear it. I don't hear anything. Oh, okay. All right. Never okay. mind. <laughs> okay. No problem. I mean, I know that, like, here, the dogs are coming in and out. So you might hear them, like, a little thump as mm-hmm. they jump on the bed. Oh, I see. <laughs> Okay, you yeah. have dogs in in Qatar. Oh my gosh! Oh, I'm I'm just I'm just borrowing them. They're not really mine. Okay. <laughs> oh. I just I watch them during the day. I see. Okay. All right. That's still really nice. I love dogs. Dogs are oh my gosh. Dogs are my favorite. Oh. I'm not gonna go down that road, but um, yes, I am definitely a dog person. So I'm glad that you oh, have. Great some furry friends with you (laughs) oh i love it i have i have a dog back home in the u.s and i'm just like oh i wish i could have brought him with me Mm -hmm. i wish this i wish that but like pets aren't allowed on like the dorms and you know at the university and even still like my dog is 13 so i don't think he would um he, he, he could maintain a long flight like that to be honest yeah totally i understand um yeah. Oh, that's so great. I'm. Oh, okay. I'm not, I'm not going to go into that. Uh, I don't want to get too off track, but um, I'm just really happy you have dogs around you. Um, for me, I feel like there's such a 
they've become an essential part of like maintaining my mental health. I yes. feel like I can't go too long without having a dog around. So I'm glad that you also have access to dogs. Um. <laughs> oh, yay. I know, right? Oh, I totally get that. Like, like these, these, these little boys, their name, their, their names are Tom and Jerry. Oh, that's so cute. That's so cute. What kind are they? They are silky terriers. So they're like a mixed breed. Ah, uh, okay. So like, yes. and then, like cute hmm? and small. I'm picturing. Yes. Okay. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and then my my dog back home. His name is Miso, and uh, he is a cockapoo. So also cute and small. Oh, I love it. that's so cute. My dogs have never been small. Well, I had a basset hound. See, I knew. I see. I wasn't going to go down this road, and here I am. But I had a basset <laughs> hound for I think 13 years. She wasn't like huge and and superbly full of of wrinkles like you might expect, <laughs> but you know, Bassahan nonetheless. And now I have oh. a um, a pit bull mix named Julia, and she's definitely not small, but she is very <laughs> cute. She's still very cute. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> anyway, love it. now that dog corner has is is over with. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you mentioned you know being a black person in in Qatar. I'm wondering. Um, how often you would come across other black people in your other travels, like your other study abroad trips? Were you coming across other black people in those instances? Mm, quick answer is no. Mm. Um, okay. Even even here here in Qatar, like there are other black folk, but most of them are from like the African continent. So a lot of people are from Sudan or they're from uh, Nigeria, mm-hmm. and you know. Um, in some ways, like I could connect, but in other ways, like being an African American is like a different experience. Hmm. Um, and so, Qatar honestly is the place where I've met the most other Black people, even if we're all from different countries. Mm-hmm. But still, it's a very, very small number of the population. Um, and then in other countries, in Greece, I saw one person in Athens. I saw one other black person in Turkey. I also saw one other black person and, um, I got caught in the situation where I thought like these two women wanted me to take a picture of them, but they want to take a picture with me. And so, (laughs) yeah. And so like before I could like understand the situation Mm -hmm. between language barriers and all that, they were taking a picture with me just because I was black and I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's happened to me before too. I I understand. It's awkward. (laughs) It's so awkward. It's so awkward. Uh, Cause I, I didn't even realize, I thought they wanted to take a picture in my spot because I was beside a really pretty tree. Mm -hmm. So I thought they wanted me to move. So I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. Okay. And then as I was moving, they like boxed me in to like take a group photo. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, so uh, that was that was Turkey. Where else have I been? Mexico? Uh, no, I didn't see anyone. And mm. am I forgetting anywhere? I think I think that's all the places I've been. Okay. <laughs> like in your programs and stuff, have you been the only black person in your in your classes as well? Yeah, usually. Yeah. Okay. 
Oh, I remember I was going to say something you were, when you were talking about um, the scope of your work that you felt like you could really explore, you know, in terms of not focusing on black pain and trauma and suffering. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, this is so <laughs> random. But have you seen the new Candyman movie? No, I haven't. It's on okay. my list, though. Okay. I'm not spoiling anything, but that's a very present theme in that movie as well. Because the main character is an artist, a painter, and he has the same thing where he's he's on the come up, and he's working with this like this white gallery o- owner on his next exhibit, his next collection of work, and the gallery owner is really pressuring him to be raw and authentic. <laughs> and what he means, what the white guy means, is like you know express more of that pain and trauma. And the main character at first doesn't really want to do that, and then he kind of falls down a rabbit hole and doesn't. Mm. It, it, you know, it's a horror movie, so of course it's not. It, it's sure, probably doesn't end so well for him. But at the beginning, he's really trying to find his creative voice. And he has, you know, again, this white gallery owner being like, where's that, you know, where's that grit? Where's the the authenticity, man? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so when you were talking, oh it reminded gosh. me of that. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. See, and I have another reason to watch it. That's so exciting. I've been on enough. I've been on just like a personal, like, trying to check off my to-do list of these, like, these black horror and suspense movies like um like tales from the hood mm. Mm, like yeah. and i just find them so interesting because they can be so weird and like weirdly like fictional you know if, if it's horror or you know this or that mixed with like like some commentary on the state of society or the mm-hmm. state of you know blackness and so now i have like an extra reason to watch Candyman. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I've heard mixed reviews about it, but I personally thought it was, I appreciated it for what it was. So hopefully once you get the chance, you'll um, enjoy it as well. Oh, you mentioned how there are not a ton of black people in in Qatar, you know, or I guess specifically in Doha, since that's where you you live. Um, Just for curiosity's sake, I'm wondering if you ever came across a black American teacher by the name of Patrick? No, not okay. that I remember. Okay. And that's the teacher I was previously mentioning, so I was just wondering if maybe maybe y'all might have crossed paths. Um, I think 2019 was when he was there. But, um, okay. Anyway, mm-hmm. not that I expect all of y'all to find each other. It's just, I just figured I'd I ask. Mean, <laughs> honestly, though, like, like, that's such a valid question though because like we do kind of all know each other um mm-hmm. in part because like doha is very small in terms of like everyone knows everyone like it's got a weird small town vibe in that regard even though it's very metropolitan in some ways mm-hmm. um but really everyone knows everyone because like like one person works here and they know all the students and the student has siblings and they're all in different grade levels and everyone knows everyone just gets interconnected mm-hmm. um especially like when you are in the black minority like you kind of just seek each other out it just sort of happens mm-hmm. like because there's so few of you i mean thinking you know i've been i was at bcu qatar for this past two years i think there's maybe like i don't know four other black people maybe five that like come to mind immediately mm-hmm. um 
in terms of just like us, just other other black folk, um, yeah. you know, not not including like students. I mean, there are very few black students for sure. Mm-hmm. But my first thought was like faculty. Um, um, yeah. So you mentioned you got your BFA, right? And then you got your you just finished your MFA in Qatar. By the time you're doing your MFA, is that mostly like self-directed? You know, because I know you had you do had your thesis and this, you know, this amazing board game that you did as part of that. I'm wondering in general, is it is it yeah, like is it self-directed? Is it something that you mainly have to take initiative on and you know, decide what you're doing and what you're how you're gonna go about it? Ah, yeah. So definitely well, okay, so in, in undergrad, by the time you are a junior and especially a senior Mm-hmm. It is very self-directed, but I can't speak to that experience directly because I was in Qatar during my senior year. Right. So, <laughs> so there, there's that. But even still, like in comparison, definitely the entirety of your master's program is way more self-directed than the entirety of your undergrad program. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the way that my program was set up, you basically spend the first semester learning a lot of like kind of practical things so that everyone has the same basis, like with woodshop or um, like mold making and how to use like a 3D printer and the laser cutter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like we spend like the first semester doing that, which is kind of hands on with other faculty because we need to learn how to push buttons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then second semester, you begin to transition into a more independent mode of study. And then by the third semester, you're almost entirely independent. And the last semester, I mean, I, I barely saw my classmates. <laughs> <laughs> now, granted, like we did have to do like online school for a big chunk of this. Um, but still, like everyone was off doing their own thing for sure. Okay. Um, you spend a lot of time talking to your thesis committee, though. Like, I, I, I love my thesis committee. Oh, my goodness. They are, they, are, they are angels. I had a fantastic thesis committee. Um, and they really helped me, like, bring my vision to life. And, it, oh, I, I can talk about them all day. But, Aww. yes, they, they are wonderful human people and wonderful artists and designers. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad that you had that support and that um, source of, like, guidance and, and feedback and helping you bring your um, your vision to life and, and forming your thesis and all that. Are, are the dogs okay? I heard this. <laughs> it oh, seemed like one of them was like, no, it's okay. I, I thought it was <laughs> amusing, but I just, I didn't know if you needed to go check on them or something. <laughs> oh man, they're, they're fine. Okay. So one, one thing about Silky Terriers is that they, they're, they're barkers. Like that's like what they were like bred to do, like okay. their ancestors and stuff. So they bark a lot. And they always let you know if there's a truck outside dropping off someone else's package. <laughs> so, okay. you know, there was one dog downstairs barking. Um, the other dog is here asleep. He, he didn't even flinch. Hmm. So different personalities. One I is see. very active. The other is very, um, very chill, but also very grumpy. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah they're they're fine they're fine all right okay yeah I'm, i mean i get it my dog 
she's basically triggered by seeing any any other animal, especially cats. I don't know what it is, Ooh. but she really cats really set her off. So I understand. Ooh. I just I didn't know if it was serious or not. If you, but it's uh, uh, I get it. Big. It's a personality thing with them. Oh, cats! <laughs> Speaking of cats, just a quick note. Doha is full of cats. There are cats everywhere. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, they're everywhere. So, I mean, keep that in mind. If you ever want to come live here or come, you know, tour, there's there's cats everywhere. I see. Okay, that's interesting. I've heard that a lot about Turkey, how there are lots of stray cats and such. Um, you know, mm. didn't know that there was a similar thing in Qatar. So that's, yeah. Yeah, and it was interesting because then when I was in Greece, there were a lot of stray dogs, and apparently, like like the government or some entity has like a program where they like like they'll catch the dogs and they'll treat the dogs and they'll like tag them. So you know, like they're they're clean in a way. They're they got all their shots, but still, like to see these huge dogs just walking around these like ancient sites mm-hmm. in, in Athens was just kind of surreal. <laughs> Tons of dogs in Greece, tons of cats in Turkey and Qatar. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, interesting. Um. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um. <laughs> I was gonna. Oh yes, we were talking about how your um, graduate studies were somewhat self-directed, um, but you mm. also had a lot of support. I was wondering if you could talk about um, your thesis, Reclamancipation, because I, you know, I read through the page that you have about it in your, on your website, and I saw the, the images of the board game, which seems like a ton of work. You have so many little pieces and everything, you know, so tell me about your, tell me about that project and, you know, what it means and what went into making it. Because it seems like it, it took a lot. <laughs> oh, it took so much. Oh, man. Okay, so Reclamancipation. All right. So, yes, it is a board game. And it is about the experiences of African-American women. And so I went through this this long research process where I would, of course, like research, you know, with books and academic things, you know, but... Also, I really wanted to engage the community. And so I would post pictures of different objects. I mean, anything like a, a, a one like the steel basin tub, a peppermint candy, like all types of stuff. And I'd ask black women just what comes to mind, like any memories, any stories, you know, emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one way how I, I garnered research. And I called it like call and response because I would put something out there and then they would respond and I could respond and we would find out like what shared experiences we all had mm-hmm. um, and how a lot of these things had this sort of duality to them where you have like a, a good memory about it. Or, like, for example, like the, the hot comb, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> all of us, we can all laugh at the same memories of hearing your hair sizzle, yeah. like, like bacon. Heating it up on the stove. Oh man, like having like like the same burn on your ear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, we we could all like like sit and laugh about like this thing. You know, these funny stories, mm-hmm. while also recognizing that like the hot comb is also has been used as a way 
for us to try to assimilate into white culture because mm-hmm. our hair was not accepted. So, you know, I really got to experience this like duality and I got to get a lot of research from my, my community, which was amazing. And it was those sort of interviews, some were more in depth, some were kind of casual that inspired the imagery in the board game. Mm. And so basically uh, the board game is split up into um, into different neighborhoods where each neighborhood has a theme. So one theme is about like like childhood, just being a girl. You know, another one is about like spirituality. Mm. Um, another one is just about like just being outside with nature, you know, playing in the backyard. Like a lot of these sort of um, innocent or simple or mundane moments that are also really wonderful and mm. like color our experiences as black women and just as people, because that's the other thing too. Like there are some experiences that we have that are specific to our identity and those things should be celebrated. But there's also a lot of things we do that is comparable to other people, which is kind of the point, like black women in the black community, we are not a monolith and we have things in common with other people. And it's this whole thing of like acknowledging our differences and respecting that and acknowledging our similarities and respecting our humanity, like just as, as equals to other people. Yeah. Um, and so that was a lot of like the basis of this, this game. I wanted to portray that. I want to portray the diversity of experiences that we as a community have and you know, to play the game, you have to basically get through each neighborhood and collect a gift from each thing, like little tokens, which mm-hmm. are actually like beans. I painted beans, um, <laughs> you know, because of like the, the symbolism of beans and, you know, they can nurture you, but also they can represent good luck. It's like all sorts of different things I was drawing from when it comes to like black culture. Yeah. Um, and so you have to like get through the game by telling stories. So, you know, if you land in the neighborhood that is about, you know, childhood and you pick up a card and the card might have like a word on it, like bird. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you as the player, you have to like share a story that has something to do with childhood and a bird, right? Any, any story that you have from your own experiences mm-hmm. and, that's how you like receive a token from every neighborhood. And the goal is to like tell a story, you know, share stories. Everyone like sits around this huge board game, like a campfire. And the goal technically is like to reach the last neighborhood, which is the future. Mm. So it's this sort of idea that like through the sharing of stories and getting to know one another and laughing and crying and like respecting, you know, Mm-hmm. that's how we all get to the future wow that that is brilliant <laughs> that is so brilliant and and heartfelt i'm so glad that you you made that project oh my gosh i can just listening to you talk about i can hear how much intention you put into it and i like how telling stories and like sharing experiences like you said is a critical part of being able to play the game. I'm almost reminded of, you know, they have um, card games. Uh, oh, what is it called? 
like black card revoked and things like that where mm. the basis or i don't know maybe have you have you heard of those games i don't know um but yeah yeah you know the the basis is around for instance like black card revoked you you would have to have that common experience of being black american or i guess knowing enough about it to be able to play the game well it reminded me of a similar thing it's like you kind of have to have this shared knowledge cultural knowledge to be able to play the game so i love that yeah that's uh your game takes that to a whole different level though you know <laughs> so i guess like it could almost become like almost like a group therapy session in a way <laughs> that's the same thing when i was like like doing my thesis defense one of the women in the audience, I, the only the only black woman in the audience who they made a special exception and allowed her to come um, into this private like presentation. Mm. But, you know, she, she said something similar where she was like, it could be used as like a therapy tool mm. um, and like a way of like like discussing trauma and like working toward that kind of like like space where you also have a lot of like cushioning of like, you can have like a funny story in between or like other people, like a communal thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I would love that. I really, really want to turn the game into something that is like able to be disseminated. Like I want it to be like a nice packaged board game that like people can play and or, or organizations can use like that. That's my goal in the foreseeable future. Mm. Yeah, I hope that you're able to to do that as well. There's definitely um, a lot of value it can give to people in terms of processing things or just feeling comfortable to speak about their experiences around other people. Because some people, I mean, myself included, are not always comfortable talking about themselves at random. So this is like a good way to <laughs> to do that. And it's like a, a welcoming environment where everyone's opening up, you know. Yeah, I do. I hope that you are able to do that. Because I remember you mentioned previously about wanting to design games and stuff that have to do with identity and like storytelling and that and all that. So, yeah, that would be sure. really cool. That would be really cool. And I saw, you know, looking at the photos, everything is so colorful, right? And you have all these pieces. <laughs> Did, did you hand paint everything? Oh, dear. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So when it comes to, like, creating this game, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness. So many steps were involved, right? Mm. So basically, it started off where I would choose the color palette for each neighborhood. And it's very specific colors that were inspired by specific, like, references in the interview process. Like... Mm. I've even got like like the number when you're on like the color gradient grid and each thing has like a specific number, mm-hmm. like very specific colors. And so I tried to match those colors with like actual paintings. So I would make these texture paintings, pretty big, 18 by 24. And with these different textures of all sorts of stuff, I would find um, different types of mark making to create different patterns and textures. Mm. Then I would scan those. And on the computer is when I would like put them into the imagery with like, like the figures. And then I would print those out and then I would transfer those onto wood blocks and the wood blocks were hand painted. Mm. And then on top of that was a layer of like, like a thin sheet of paper or paint 
to give it like a more like like a flat color on top of everything. Mm-hmm. And then I sealed it with like a really heavy gloss. So basically it alternated between like hand painting digital, hand painting digital and <laughs> until the final product came out. Yeah. And I, I just keep thinking back because I had to do all of this like in my dorm apartment because we couldn't be on campus. Right. Oh man. That's so much. Wow. I'm glad that you were able to pull it together. That's amazing how how everything turned out. You know, even just from looking at it, it it's it's stunning, you know. Oh, um, thank you. Do you feel like that work paid off? It, it looks like it did, but do you feel like all your hard work paid off in bringing that together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am so proud of that piece. I'm so proud of what I was able to put together and how I you know, how I interpreted my own like thesis statement, because mm-hmm. we start figuring out thesis statements like a year prior to the actual thesis defense. Mm-hmm. And it evolved a lot. And I found myself evolving as I was like creating the artwork. And so for me, it was also a process of kind of like therapy and reflection. It was a lot that went into it. So it was a lot of emotion and energy and time that went into this final product that really accomplishes even more than I had imagined it would accomplish. I mean, mm. I'm, I'm so proud of it and the way it came together. Yeah. Oh, good. You deserve to feel proud of it. You know, I obviously don't know you, but I'm definitely proud of, of you and what you've been able to do. Oh, That's amazing. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. That's, oh innovative and thoughtful and and like I said has a lot of heart behind it uh, in addition to looking beautiful and coming up with a game I feel like it's not easy as someone who for Ooh. some reason I have a hard time like learning to play like new games that I don't already know it takes me a while to like to get it so I'm definitely not even trying to come up, like, create a game of my own. <laughs> so, you know, that takes a lot of, um, I guess, strategy as well as thinking out how the game is going to go. Yeah, that's... Oh, yeah. That's... This, this game, that was, like, the biggest challenge, to be honest, was <laughs> figuring out, like, how do you play it? <laughs> you know, how, how do you make it make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to a point where I was really trying to figure out the rules of the game, and I hadn't like made anything yet. And so I just kind of stopped. I started making. And then like the rules of the game like revealed themselves as I was putting all these pieces together. Mm. And I was like, oh, awesome. I love it. So like one thing that I really do credit like my MFA experience with is sort of um, shifting my focus from just thinking and planning to making mm. and having stuff be revealed like in their own time or learning from that making process like it's changes everything it makes my life a whole lot easier and a whole less stressful Mm -hmm. because I've already got enough to to figure out like in terms of that game like and the the longer that I spent just like trying to plan everything before doing Mm -hmm. the the longer like I wasn't making anything and oh boy (laughs) <laughs> I'm just I'm just flashing back. There's just so much that went into that game. I mean, there's I there's even that. like a short story that goes with it that I'm still working on. And I had to get stuff like I hand painted a lot of stuff and I had to go out and get a new printing service mm-hmm. and it was just difficult to navigate. 
you know, between having this huge, huge project and doing it in the middle of a pandemic where access to certain facilities was just limited. Mm -hmm. For sure. Uh, Yeah, you definitely deserve to feel proud of what you were able to do. And I like how you you said how the rules of the game revealed itself as you were making it. I feel like I've heard a similar thing when it comes to like, well, I mean, you are a, a writer as well, but like, um, uh, in terms of authors, when they're writing their books, I've, I've seen people talk about how, like, almost like the characters, even though they're creating the characters, it's almost like the characters are sens- sentient in themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, in the process of writing, it's almost like the characters tell them who they are and, and what their motivations are and what they are going to do in, in each next scene or, or phase mm-hmm. of the book. You know, like, in a way, the characters also reveal themselves in the process of writing as well. So it's not always like you coming up with every little thing. It's like it, it comes to you it, while you're in the process of, of doing it. Yeah. Um, I hope yeah. that, that makes sense. I don't know if that was too abstract when I was trying to, to say it. But, um. <laughs> no way. That, that totally makes sense. And I, I totally get it. And I can absolutely relate. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned with the game wanting to – make it in such a way that it allows people to share their experiences, uh, especially you black women sharing their experiences. Uh, I'm assuming that is a similar motivation behind you starting black girls abroad, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, how did you go about starting that your, your blog and I guess maybe a, a social media presence as well. Well, I guess, how did you start it? But also, you know, why did you decide to start it when you did? Sure. All right. So when I went to Morocco, or more so when I was preparing to go to Morocco, mm-hmm. I researched a lot. I had sticky notes all over my dorm. I was really trying to be pre- prepared for anything and everything. And, you know, I get there and I go on the trip and I have a completely different experience than what I had prepared for. And I was like, well, what happened? You know, <laughs> why, 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 why wasn't my research relevant? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I realized like that to an extent, it was because a lot of the, you know, the outlets that I was um, researching from the people that I was looking at, you know, a lot of these people weren't black women and being a black woman, 100% colors what your experience abroad will be like Mm -hmm. depending on the country and you know further still I realized that I was other things right so I was a student and I was an artist which is very different than like a a single white man chef backpacking across France you know what I mean Mm -hmm. yeah and so you know I'm just like huh like there are some experiences that are specific to black women that color our experiences abroad. And I realized that there wasn't a lot of readily available resources that were about that. Because if, if you Google, like, you know, what is life like in Morocco? Like your first hits aren't probably going to be from black women or black people in general, to be honest. Hmm. And so I felt like I wanted to help fill the void that I had stumbled upon, like through my own research and experience kind of not matching up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided to start Black Girls Abroad. And I'm like, well, I'll start by sharing my own experiences. 
And eventually, like, I wanted to become an archive where other Black women can also, like, share their experiences on the, the platform, yeah. which I'm getting really close to that. I'm starting to make plans. I'm so excited to start, like, including other Black women travelers, like, in this Black Girls Abroad platform. Mm, um, that's exciting. It's, it's so exciting. Oh, I'm so <laughs> excited. Yes. So uh, that, that was, I guess, the inspiration from it. I mean, mm-hmm. the inspiration for it. And I guess, like, with social media, I kind of just started posting stuff mm-hmm. and you know, getting getting the hang of it because I was not like a social media user before. Like I, I had to get someone to show me like how to make an Instagram story. I was just like, what is this? And and it goes away. Oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I definitely got to use Black Girls Abroad as sort of like a, a way to test out like how social media works yeah. and to get familiar with it. So that's that. And it just kind of kept growing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't expecting it to really get much attention. I'm like, I'm just telling my stories, you know, I'm just hoping that it'll stick with someone. Yeah. <laughs> just anyone, you know, because mm-hmm. I was imagining myself back in that position, you know, trying to go somewhere and then trying to prepare myself. And I'm like, huh, it would have been nice if I had known this or if I had known of that before going these things that were specific to being a black woman in a certain part of the world. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, so like you said, you used your own experience at first as like a starting point and you're hoping to include other experiences as well. Uh, like you said, Mm -hmm. create like a collection or, um, an archive that people can, Mm -hmm. uh, reference as a resource when it comes to like traveling abroad, living abroad. I totally understand like, Social media is like a completely different beast when it comes to learning how to do things. So I'm glad that you're, you know, getting the hang of that as well. Uh, I really like how your website is laid out as well. The blog posts I've seen are like, they're very thorough, but also like succinct. I feel like you have that really good middle ground of uh, between the two. Yeah, I hope that continues to go well. I think what you're doing is really great. (laughs) It's, it really definitely took a while because, like, a lot of my early posts, especially the ones about my first time in Qatar, mm-hmm. I, I have a hard time rereading them because I'm like, oh, God, it's so bad. Look how much I wrote. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, I, I had to, like, like kind of I had to work through, like, how I wanted to organize the information mm-hmm. um, and what was important to share and how I wanted to share it. I feel like I'm at a point where like I'm comfortable with the way things are being written and thank you so much for saying that and give me some validation. Of um, course. Of course. I mean, and you know, the longer stuff, some people, I feel like there's a place and a time for more long form stuff as well. Some people en- even enjoy reading that type of thing, even if it's longer and more involved, you know, so there's a definitely merit to that as well. And, um, yeah, I'm happy to provide as much validation as I can. I know it helps to have it and we need it out here, you know, so as many, as much validation and encouragement as I can give, I'm happy to offer it, you know. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're very, very welcome. Um, In terms of, wait, uh, when did you, you said you just finished your MFA, right? Oh, yeah. In August or something? Oh, in May. Okay. 
Okay, I was trying to ballpark in terms of when the semesters might have started and ended. Okay, so in May you're fin- you were finished. So what do you envision or what are you looking forward to in, in the future in terms of like, you know, are you going to stay in, in Doha for a lot longer or, you know, what you want to do with your art or even with Black Girls Abroad? What does the future look like in terms of like how you envision it or how you would want it to go? Mm. Wow, that is what I am like in the middle of trying to figure out like right now in mm. this sort of weird space of like I just graduated and the world's my oyster, but yeah. also there's a <laughs> pandemic. That's true, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and so you know, there's a couple things that I feel I know I want to do. So I've been working a lot on the blog for sure. Mm-hmm. Um and There's like some really fun stuff. I think I'm going to start posting probably by 2022 and I'll be able to start like bringing in more people and talk to them and hear their stories. So that'll be really fun. I think 2022 is going to be a good year for the blog Mm -hmm. Um, because I took I took a break from it when I think after I finished writing about, oh, I did go to Morocco again. That's so funny. I've been to Morocco twice. I forgot. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) whoops okay um in 2019 i was back in morocco Mm -hmm. uh through the mfa program and i wrote about that experience on the blog and you know by the time i finished posting those experiences it was time for me to start working on my thesis Mm -hmm. and so i wanted to like really devote all the time i had to the thesis because it was a beast Mm -hmm. it was a beast a beautiful beast. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I took a break from the blog for about a year. And now I'm starting to get back into it. And I look forward to posting stuff uh, with the blog, right? Mm-hmm. And then in terms of like other things, like like my art practice and like professional stuff, honestly, I've been thinking about going to get my PhD and applying to a PhD program. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Like I've, I've always wanted to be like a doctor, but I didn't really know what that meant as an artist. Mm -hmm. And so I've been researching a lot and talking to some people about like what options exist um, for someone in the creative field as a a doctorate program. And I I actually found a few options and I wasn't planning to apply to them so soon. But, you know, some of the advice I was given is that the pandemic has kind of shaken up the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and like being in academia is in some ways being in a, in a safe bubble while the world tries to figure itself back out. Because honestly, like it has been more challenging than I expected to sort of like figure out like getting a job and like things like that, mm-hmm. especially being here in Qatar because of the nature of my visa. So it's like, wow, it's like there's a lot of positions open that are not sponsored. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I'm like, well, I need a sponsorship to stay or I need a sponsorship so I can, you know, live here and work. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll apply to graduate school again, you know, and see how that works out. Yeah. So that's on my list. And then I've also just been drawing. I've been having a great time just like drawing fan art, <laughs> to be honest. Mm. And, um, and like redrawing stuff I did when I was like 13 and like redrawing it like with my current skills and talents because I'm taking a break from, you know, the intensity 
that was my thesis. So I'm just drawing some like really lighthearted stuff and looking through what to do next. Am I going to go to school? Am I going to switch countries? Am I going to go work? You know, what kind of work? Plus like my personal art practice. I want my game to be like a real game. Mm -hmm. I want my books to be real books. Like the future looks it looks colorful. I can mm-hmm. say that much. <laughs> and and I'm sure. looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't asking that. I hope I wasn't. Um, it didn't come off. I was asking that question in terms of like expecting you to know what to do next. Cause I know that's like, oh. that's an awful question. You know, when, when you <laughs> last, when you finish a program or you graduate from school, it's like, okay, what's next? And that's just like question no one really wants to answer. But I'm, I'm I really wanted to get like, your vision of, you know, what you'd like to do or like to happen. So, yeah, like oh, you said, it does look really colorful. Um, I'm glad also that you're doing, like you said, with your fan art, you're kind of doing art for fun just for yourself. And I'm sure that is really helpful. So you're in, in Doha for the meantime, but, you know, mm-hmm. you might find your place somewhere else depending on how, if you get into the doctoral program or some you decide to do something else, it's still up in the air, which is completely fine considering the current circumstances and also the fact that you just, you just finished your MFA a few months ago. So I hope whatever you end up doing ends up fulfilling to you and enjoyable to you, you know, because that's important. Uh Thank you. I I feel like it will. I mean, I feel like uh, a lot of what I've sort of learned the past like two years or so, Mm -hmm. both just like, like personally with like mental health and emotional health, and, you know, professionally with art and everything mm-hmm. and with such like a supportive community here, I feel like really prepared to like walk into the future and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel I feel safe and comfortable in that. And it's it's really fun for me to even like sit here and talk to you about it, of course, mm-hmm. and <laughs> to have like like moments to to reflect. Right. right. Like I hadn't realized how much I have traveled in just four years. Mm. Like, like four years ago, I had never been off the East coast. And, wow. and now, now look, you know, it's, it's amazing. Right. Or, you know, way back then I felt like that my writing practice didn't have a place with my art practice and that an artist looks like this or an artist does that. Mm-hmm. But now I realize that that's not the case and that everything can bleed together in a really beautiful way that makes me excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get to like hold on to these things as I, I move forward and see like what the adventure awaits, which is so corny to say, but like, I, I mean, love it's, it's honest, you know, that's where you are right now. And, and you're appreciating where you are in the moment, you know, and looking forward to yeah. the future. Um, yeah, yes, exactly. So, and it's so crucial to be able to look forward to things because that's, that can be really difficult. So, you know, I, I, I get where you're coming from. <laughs> Yay. Oh, I love it. Last few questions. First of all, um, do you have any tips or advice for people in terms of being able to afford studying abroad like you have? And also any general uh, advice or takeaways uh, for people wanting to study abroad or even, you know, live abroad like you have? Mm. Mm. When it comes to like financing and like specifically within the context of like studying at an American university 
and you can apply for the FAFSA, like the financial aid, mm-hmm. totally apply to that. And I know that when I studied abroad in Qatar, the global education office at my university basically like told the government that I was studying abroad, right? They told FAFSA for me, basically. Mm-hmm. And FAFSA gave me extra money to, to study abroad. Mm-hmm. Like, like they, they gave me just extra like scholarship money. Um, because they knew that I was abroad and I'm like, wow, I had no idea that was a thing. So definitely like, like make sure that you apply for like whatever financial aid services you have and talk to like your, your global education office at your university, Mm -hmm. um, just to get, just to get a feel for what options are like realistically available. So there's that for sure. And then also, maybe just like be flexible and like keep keep your eye out for different types of opportunities. Like I know that I always assumed that I would study abroad in Europe because that's kind of what's always been mm-hmm. advertised. Yeah. Um, but then when this like Morocco trip came up, I was like, where even is Morocco? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know what? Let let's do it. Like why not? It was within my means and it couldn't hurt. So, you know, do it. So like be flexible and be open. Yeah. Um, keep an eye out for things, talk to people because you never know when someone might need you to come on a trip because you have the right passport. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like in Greece. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Mm. Um, and then like general, general tips, maybe something similar to be honest, like, like when, you are, you know, abroad somewhere, be flexible and be patient, primarily like with yourself. I know that for like the first time I was studying abroad, I was like really hard on myself, like in general. Mm. Um, And I was frustrated and I like wasn't giving myself the space that I needed to sort of accommodate for all the culture shock and things of that nature. Mm. So, you know, I would advise just like to be patient with yourself. All right take it easy in terms of like, like your, your mental health, um, things like that. Um, and I think that that can help you have like a really good time abroad. Um, Mm. especially like, like studying abroad, like yes, study and very important, Mm -hmm. but also like experience being abroad, like really soak that in as much as you can without like forcing yourself to go out and do something. Cause that's also a thing. Like if you feel tired, just stay in the house and take a nap. <laughs> like it is so okay. Like, cause yeah. I would rather like do that than go out and like force myself to experience, you know, the country, even though I feel like crap. Mm-hmm. Right. So do things like that. I, that, that's what my advice would be is to just be patient with yourself. Mm. That's yeah. good. Very relevant. Uh, cultivating patience for oneself. Yeah, that's really, really important advice. So I appreciate you for sharing those insights. Also, I was wondering, you know, you've been to multiple countries at this point. You're currently in in Doha. I've been living there for two years. Is there anywhere else in the world, you know, like if you have a list, are there any places that are really high on that list of places you would like to go in the future? Let me think. I know that I've always wanted to go to Italy. Mm. Always. And I know a long time ago, 
you know, me and my mom, like, we were talking and we want to have, like, this big girls trip for us, like, just us and, like, my grandmothers and we all, we go to Italy on, like, this this multi-generational girls trip. That'd be Um, wonderful, yeah. So I would love for that to happen. But otherwise, honestly, I'm I'm not picky at all. Mm. And, like, I feel like I used to have a list, but I have since forgotten it. And (laughs) I'm like... Hey, take me anywhere. Like, right. let's let's go. Especially after COVID, I'm like, wow, yeah, go anywhere, <laughs> anywhere. I feel you. <laughs> oh man, I look forward to the day. This may not happen, but like recently, Qatar they like installed a metro system, which is very efficient. It's it's really good actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, one day. It's going to be just this mega metro. It's going to just cross all of the countries and the region. And I can just hop on a train and end up in Egypt. Like, Mm. (laughs) one day in the distant future. (laughs) Yeah. Wouldn't that be something? Okay. So, yeah, like you said, you're open anywhere. But hopefully, y'all, you and your mom and your your grandma and such can go on that, that wonderful girls trip to a family bonding trip to Italy. Speaking of which, have you been able to, have any of them been able to visit you? Like any of your family or anything? Family or friends been able to visit you since you've been away? No. Oh, that's right, because of COVID. Oh. Right, I forgot. Yeah, exactly. exactly <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> that makes sense then. <laughs> I totally forgot. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> They're thinking about coming in early 2022 so like in the winter mm. i hope that works out i i would love for as many people as possible to come so like like all of my grandparents and my parents and my brother and my sister and everyone just get on the plane and, and come over <laughs> yeah oh that would be so sweet yeah hopefully you get to see them soon hopefully they can come see you and you can show them around show them your world that you've been living in um for the past few years yeah, hopefully that can happen um, in the near future. Okay, so my last question for you is where can people reach you or keep up with you online if you would like them to do so? Oh, sure. Okay, so uh, Black Girls Abroad, it's spelled B-L-K for Black, okay? Mm-hmm. So Black Girls Abroad. Uh, it's the same handle on Instagram and Twitter, and I think Pinterest also It's on there now. And that's the same handle for the website. So it's blackgirlsabroad.com. I post pretty regularly on Instagram. And in 2022, there's usually one post every week about, you know, my experience in a different country. So that is where you can keep up with all of my travel adventures. Then if you're interested in my art, I can be found under Nia Alexander. So, again, that's my handle on Instagram, Twitter. That's my website, neaalexanderart.com. And also on Pinterest. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and soon soon I'll be opening up an online store. So Ooh. that's also a thing. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited about that, too. Yeah, awesome. Okay, yeah, so people can check out, like you said, Black Girls Abroad. Uh, and make sure they spell it BLK so they can actually find you. And <laughs> Nia Alexander or Nia Alexander Art. Um, those yes. are the options where people can find you in all the places. Okay, perfect. 
All right. Well, thank you again for your time this evening. Uh, again, I appreciate your patience in terms of us starting a little late. Um, and uh, I won't hold you any longer. I just wanted to say thank you again. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did as well. And I didn't want to say this at the beginning because I didn't want it to feel... I didn't want you to feel under pressure or anything. But I wanted to tell you now that... This is actually, like, you're the last guest that I'll be featuring in 2021. So, you know, this is the makings of my very last episode of the year. And I'm really glad I got to end it with you and hearing about your adventures, but also your art and the intentions you have behind all the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, so I'm really glad that things worked out this way. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. This has been really, really fun. I've really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you so much for inviting me. I had a blast. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. You're very welcome. I'm glad that you enjoyed yourself. Um, As I said, I I did as well. It was awesome getting to chat with you uh, and hear your stories and (laughs) laugh about things here and there. So, um, yeah, yeah, but I'll let you go. I know we're slightly over time, but um, I will definitely be in touch. And I hope you have a great rest of your evening okay nia all right you have a good rest of your evening too or rest of your day is morning where you are yes it's still morning yes (laughs) (laughs) i will thank you i will (laughs) all right you take care all right and i'll be in touch okay all right bye okay bye nia (laughs) all right y'all there it is Thanks to Nia for being such a wonderful guest, and I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook, and at YG Abroad on Twitter. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoyed what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to Young, Gifted, and Abroad wherever podcasts are, and you are welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you leave reviews (laughs) while you're at it. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So... This is it for the year. <laughs> There's no episode in two weeks or or anything like that. Uh, I just want to say thank you again for listening to Young Gifted and Abroad this year. I hope to return in 2022 refreshed and ready to bring even more new episodes with more new guests. In the meantime, look out for something special coming out on this very same podcast feed in December probably christmas eve and other than that yeah i'll be back in early to mid-january so hopefully y'all don't miss well i hope you will miss me (laughs) um anyway uh i hope that you all take care and don't put too much pressure on yourself to make this year whatever just because it's ending and provided that all goes well and according to plan I'll see you all in January. So thank you so much for listening and talk to you next year.